And welcome back, everyone, to yet another episode of Going for Two, presented by our good friends at Home Field Apparel. I am your host, the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter, Matt Brown, and Brian is not here. Uh, that's Brian hasn't quit. He hasn't run off or anything. We just, we've, we've had a, a busy schedule. We weren't able to get everybody on the same page and everything. Uh, so you're just stuck with me, but not, well, not stuck with just me. We're going to, we're going to bring on another guest before the season started. We had a, a, an expert to talk about, uh, almost every conference. We had people to talk about the FCS. We had people to talk about the G5. We, we skipped the ACC. Excuse me. We skipped the ACC. It wasn't because we don't like the ACC. Reached out to a couple of different people. Schedules didn't really line up, and now it's uh, we're in, we're actually into the season. The ACC is still pretty interesting. We had some teams that uh, we thought were going to be pretty good look like crap the beginning of the season. We had some that we thought were going to be crap look pretty good. Uh, we have Florida State, which now means we should unironically talk about the Knowles here for a little bit for the first time in four years to help us understand what to make of the ACC and how to not overreact from one week of data point, which is the hardest thing to do for any kind of sports commentator and fan. Um, wanted to bring in somebody who knows this region's football better than almost anybody I know. Wanted to bring in my old buddy, Bud Elliott of 247 and CBS. Bud and I go way back. We were at SB Nation for a long time together. We did recruiting stuff together. Uh, now Bud is off, uh, made, made the big time, and he is, was kind enough to take a couple of minutes to chat with us about what we just saw and what we have left to see to come. Bud, it's always a pleasure to be with you again here. And I'm, I'm excited to be with you now because I feel like for the first time in a couple of years, we actually want to unironically talk about the Knowles. And, and you and you understand this program and this and this beats and and the and the, these people, you know, better than almost anybody else here I know. I'd love to start with this. What, what's what's the the temperature check on the fan base right now after the uh, that bananas victory over LSU? Has that, has that uh, changed expectations? Man, well, I'm glad to be back. Uh, it, it changes expectations, I think, somewhat. Uh, if you're a fan, probably changes expectations for the rest of the year a lot. Uh, everybody in the fan base is pretty jacked right now. You know, I, I was at the team. I was at the team hotel, and it just everybody works for the boosters and the school president and the athletic director. They, they just have not had a quality win that got people fired up for probably four years now. Man, really even right. five, because because like five stretches back to when, when you, you lost Alabama in the opener and Francois got his leg snapped and you basically realized like the season was kind of lost. So people who have to fundraise off this kind of stuff were extremely happy that they didn't start the year 0-1 for the sixth consecutive year. Uh, and so that was uh, that was pretty solid, man. They, they, yeah. uh, they, played, they played all right, you know, and – I thought they would have a chance. I, I had it 24-23 LSU, and they ended up being 24-23 FSU. Uh, listening to a lot of the LSU podcasts, I was like, man, I don't, I don't know. I, I thought Brody Miller had it right, though, the, the, the guy who writes for the Athletic. I, he, he He's like, yeah, there's a lot of questions about this team. He's like, yeah, kind of same on FSU. They took a t bunch of transfers. Sure. So, so did LSU. And, uh, I mean, D-line played really well. Jordan Travis didn't put the ball in jeopardy really – at all and made a bunch of plays and he's kind of the difference if he's going to play at that level this team i mean if they get a bunch of injuries they could go five and seven but if he stays really healthy they could go ten and two like there's a pretty wide range still but it, it's a better team than it was last year the it's 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 taken a minute to it's, it seems like to get the roster depth at these key positions that they yeah. needed to here and when you have to bring in 12 transfers a, a class and 
someone doesn't pan out terribly well, you can be in a, in a big hole in a hurry. You you actually alluded to something which from for our podcast is part of what makes Florida State so fascinating. It seemed like part of the reason that the program went into as dramatic of a tailspin as quickly as it did, maybe unbeknownst to the public, was because those boosters and those fundraisers and the administrators weren't on the same page. And you had seminal boosters in the school kind of butting heads and the kind of the program the athletic director wanted might, maybe wasn't exactly the same thing as what football coaches wanted. Do you feel from like a 10,000 foot level that Florida State Athletics is more aligned and rowing in the same direction now than they were a couple of years ago? Or are those still concerns? No, I, I think um, that this is always sort of like a lagging narrative, right? Uh, yeah. Like they had booster problems and just sort of alignment problems before I think a lot of the national media realized it. And it'll probably take the national media longer to realize what's being fixed. I, I do think that they sure. are in a, like they're in a much better spot uh, just from, from talking to people who they might ask to give, you know, a $5 million gift, right? Like I've talked to those people. They're like, hey, actually like this – makes sense what they're doing now. I have reasonable, like reasonable confidence that the people in, in charge now uh, are either accomplished athletics administrators or accomplished in like a field of business that, you know, relates to if you are, if you're given that much money, you probably are a business owner yourself. Uh, yeah. Incorporating the, you know, the boosters more into the athletic department has been big. Uh, I think, you know, with, you know, President McCullough and, you know, board chairman, Peter Collins and, AD Michael Alford, who was the guy who helped to bring the boosters and modernize them. Um, that's a big advantage for Alford, almost like it was for Jim O to be the head coach and waiting and understand all the problems with the program. I think Alford got kind of a sneak peek at what was wrong and kind of what needed to be fixed. And so when he when he became the AD, he was you know previously head of the boosters. Yeah, uh, I, I think that was it's in a better spot than it's been in a while. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about that, but that makes a, a ton of sense. Like who better to have the really blood and guts inside information about what's working and what's not working, what specific relationships need to be repaired than somebody that came in there from that background. I, you know, I, I think speaking of stuff that needs to be repaired, when you're talking about ACC football, like the, the dominant storyline was recently has always been Clemson and looking at the team uh, on Monday Comparing it to what we saw last year, I can understand why maybe a Clemson fan might still be nervous because you could still say, well, this defense is still really good and there's still high level talent at some places. But this wasn't the Clemson offense that we had expected. And this was a game where I think they ultimately covered. But I don't know if anybody really enjoyed watching it most of the time. Has your perception about what is possible at Clemson this year shifted after one game or like I assume you want to see more data. But um, where, 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 where are you thinking about that now? Yeah, Matt, it's a really fascinating conversation. So you cannot dismiss the idea that maybe a quarterback change could paper over some concerns, which we've seen with Clemson before, right? Yeah. The concerns prior were usually, okay, offensive line, just average or something like that. You have Trevor Lawrence or, or, or Deshaun paper over it. But somebody, I think it was in our live chat on, on Cover 3 Pod on, on the Saturday Night Recap, was like, hey, can you take a look uh, at Clemson's offensive coaching staff and, and their lack of experience? And I, I really hadn't thought of it in the aggregate until I just Googled all of them. And they only have seven years combined at the power five level as, oh, wow. as coaches. All seven are at Clemson. Okay. They only have an additional five years combined of coaching experience at the G five level. So no power five experience outside of Clemson, only five years coaching experience outside of Clemson at all in terms of college FBS coaching. 
Now, one guy was a very accomplished high school coach. I don't want to besmirch the high school coaches. Obviously, I think there's a lot of really sharp ones out there who, if they just had the opportunity, could do a great job. Yeah. But it does make me wonder, like, especially when your head coach and Dabo is not a scheme guy. He's a vibes. Players play their butts off for him. He's really yeah. good at managing that program. He recruits his, his, his butt off, right? Who in that room is standing up and saying, mm, this doesn't look good. Like, this doesn't look right. Or, hey, th- we're tipping this. We're tipping that. Like, Georgia Tech should not be in our backfield immediately with some of these looks. Is there something going on here? I that is a I know there's a commitment to in promoting from within, man, but that is a drastic lack of experience compared to the programs that Clemson is trying to compete against. Like look at Ohio State or Bama or Georgia. Those guys have a lot more experience outside the program and have some ideas they can bring. You know, not only that, because I, I was trying to think of I have top of my head. Maybe you know somebody. I can't think of any other program anywhere close to a peer of Clemson that is that insular. Um, not just bringing in people that are relatively, you know, young and, and with experience generally, but young in their experience outside of Clemson. And I'm just imagining, like, if if your whole professional career or like the the the, the bulk of it has been under Dabo and in that room, even if you know ball, even if you're a really good chalkboard guy, are you going to feel empowered to tell your boss actually we need to make shift X, Y, or Z? I, I'm not in. I'm not in that meeting room. But is that something that could be a possibility in a very we are doing this the Clemson way, come, you know, kind of kind of place? I, I think it's it's certainly a, a possibility, right? I mean, they, you don't see other places like you said have that level of insularity unless it's sort of like religiously required or maybe like, like a service academy with, with with some of the option stuff. Yeah, that they do. And and there's there's a bit of sort of now. I mean, my brain's fried. Thursdays are my long day. No, but sure. because he because he promoted Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott, right, and it worked, you have to think there's a certain level of, hey, we need to keep it in the family. We know what we're doing here. We know how to do it. And maybe they'll get a turnaround. I'm not saying Brandon Streeter, the OC, is a bad coach, but yeah. he was the quarterback coach last year and didn't really look great. Defensively, they have guys who have an NFL experience, outside Power 5 experience, and the new DC, you know, Wes Goodwin, I was pretty high on that hire when a lot of people were like, how are you going to replace Venables? Because I had a guy tell me that like the dude that Venables would talk to in the meeting rooms over other coaches even about and bounce things off at a high level was Goodwin. And he really trusted him. It was like, okay, well, Venables is kind of a defensive genius. And if he really respects this guy enough to be like, not that he would ignore other coaches, but like that was the guy he clearly had a lot of, of respect for in terms of adjustments and running the defense. My concerns were more with offense, especially considering what they were last year. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and offensive line depth at a, at a high level has not really been a strength of that program for a while, even when they were when they were capital C Clemson. That, that was the one position group where they typically weren't sending people to the NFL uh, as opposed to defensive line or linebackers or quarterbacks. And that that has dipped a little bit even more. Well, even if you if you miss if you miss evaluating the quarterback, you're definitely in, in the trouble. And even if you didn't, certainly that 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 makes things more difficult. Um, the, the temptation to overreact after one week is it's very easy especially for an idiot like me right you know after after all these months without seeing any football so let me ask you like beyond just what you saw was there a, any program in the ACC that you were uh, especially optimistic about or thought could you know hey maybe there's uh, some arbitrage here between the narrative around this program or what, or what I think is possible and was that was with any of those reinforced after that first week is there a team we're not talking about that we should be yeah, you know, honestly, I was uh, after one game, and, and we'll know more Friday night. But I, I, I have a feeling I was pretty wrong about Louisville. Um, 
And that, that was a team that brought back a lot of experience. I thought they did a nice job overall in the transfer portal. And, uh, you know, it's just not – they looked sloppy and unprepared in week one. And now they're a touchdown underdog in Orlando on short rest tomorrow night down here where where I live. And then they turn back around and play another Friday game the following week with FSU coming to town. FSU's off a bye. Uh, There's a chance that Scott Satterfield starts 0-3 and that recruiting class they have built completely collapses. And we have – maybe like Jeff Brom is there or something – uh, come come 2023, I thought they'd be better. Now, look, they could turn around the narrative, go down there and beat UCF. It's not like UCF is some juggernaut uh, the last two years. But they didn't look nearly as good. I would point specifically to just things that are a little more on the extremes. Yeah. UNC, offensively, Drake May looks amazing. I mean, this is a great conference for quarterbacks this year, I think. And Drake May might be the best one after two games. Like, he just looks – we're getting a lot of Anthony Richardson talk. Go watch Drake May play and tell me, like he doesn't look like it. Like a, I mean, he's just making throws from all angles, big time throws, running around like crazy, not turning the ball over. Looks yeah. great. And defensively, Matt, they look worse than last year, and they're more experienced. Oh, like Jay horrific. Bateman is sitting back saying, like you know, Jay May, who's now, you know he was the DC. Uh, I think there was some consternation there about having to be the DC opposite of that level of tempo. Yeah, but I think there was also some consternation like having to coach with some of those assistant coaches on that staff who some people don't think can actually coach and can just recruit. And their DBs look lost again. I mean, app guys are running with nobody else on the screen. It's app. App lost all three top receivers last year, and they're carving you. It's That's crazy. It, it that, that UNC app game reminded me of – I want to say it was like West Virginia Baylor that that game it was like sixty three to seventy a, a couple of years ago and you it was it was literally like what I know this is like an overplayed trope tripe but um, trope uh, and, and tripe I guess but like watching people play NCAA would you realize that nobody has any idea how to do anything in the secondary and it's just like okay you know they're gonna we're, we're throwing bombs and whoever has the ball last with thirty five seconds left is is going to score and you don't see that too often in big time college football that's what I saw now I figured I mean. If that game went on for another twenty minutes, App could. Have, I mean, they they both would have scored hundred. Um, it was it was it was bananas. And there's some better offenses on UNC's schedule for sure. You figure there's going to be some kind of regression, but if you're giving up sixty to App State, you could give. I mean, what what's Syracuse going to do to you? What's Wake Forest going to do to you? Right? Like that's those are the easel fifty burgers to say nothing of, of Florida State or Clemson. That seems concerning. I completely um, agree with that. Yeah, I mean it. We'll see about UVA. Uh, I have a feeling UVA's offense is a lot worse than they were last year, despite returning the receivers and the quarterback. Yeah. Props to Cuse and their coaching staff for implementing a new offense and having it look that crisp in game one. I mean, part of that was a little sloppiness, but part of that was also, you know, Cuse looking nice. They 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 they, they did look pretty good. And, and hey, you know, looking at Cuse, you got UConn, Purdue, maybe a questionable UVA, Evan Wagner. I mean, you could be heading into a bye week in mid-October – ranked undefeated in a rank like 18 like that could, that's that's the most juice around Syracuse we've had in like six years like that that would uh that doesn't seem off the table if you're able to look that good in week one uh, was there anybody outside of this conference that you watched after that first week to think like wow this was not what I expected at all this changes the way that I both think about them or or, or maybe even bet on bet about them you know moving forward given how that first week performance looked no it's yeah let me, all right just just scroll in here um I thought Boise's offense would would improve some this year. They, they had so many injuries uh, 
last year, and, and I thought you just would have to have some positive regression built in. They look bad again, man. I mean, they, they, they looked, looked bad. bad. They were yeah. out of that game within 12 minutes. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty bad. I have some concerns about South Carolina's offense, given how experienced that line is, that they allowed that much pressure to uh, to Georgia State and Kentucky. Yeah. I know they had some suspensions, but I mean, Ohio had one of the highest pressure rates in the country last week. I mean, Ohio lost a ton of guys, not to the draft, but specifically they lost defensive linemen to like NFL camps. A MAC team should not be be getting that kind of pressure on you if they have a bunch of guys who are still trying to make NFL rosters, like legitimate, you know, fringe NFL types. But at a, at a MAC school, that's a big deal, right? Yeah. It, it it would be funny, you know, to put out that kind of graphic, like, you know, Miami, Ohio lost three starters to McKinsey and company or, to, you know, to oh. Procter and Gamble because it's, you know, yeah. it's that kind of school. And, exactly. and, and, but, you know, these were guys that were, were kicking people's ass. I forgot about that because I, I, if you were not in Lexington, there's a good chance you didn't watch that game. I, I think given everything else that happened, and I imagine we're going to learn a lot more about Kentucky in a couple of days when they play Florida. I think we will. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I think I'm not even sure that Florida is that great, but this is just not a great spot for Kentucky to have to go down there with the suspensions yeah. and sort of the lack of continuity. It looks like they have in the offense. They're going to need, they're going to need that quarterback to play like the Twitter draft analyst think he is, as opposed to what he's been. You know, speaking of Twitter draft analysts, I, I, I know I don't have you here for too long, but I, I do want to, I would be remiss if I didn't get to ask you about this. This, um, if you were an Ohio state fan, should you should you be concerned at all about what you saw on offense, particularly from their passing game against Notre Dame, or is it rational to say, "Hey, that was Week One with a young wide receiving group against what should be a top ten defense"? What level of panic is appropriate? I, I'm really not panicking because I, I I thought like the defense was so much more assignment sound, and you have basically all year to work on this offense. There, there's not a whole lot of games that are that losable. Um, Michigan State lost two defensive starters to serious injuries already in the back seven, so they weren't that great at pass coverage anyway. I mean, Ohio State, to me now, kind of has a two-game schedule remaining unless something really bad happens, and I would still favor them in both games. Notre Dame also, I'm not going to sit here and accuse them of not playing to win, but I will say I think they were just trying to play to keep it co close and maybe let the dominant, maybe let the, the variance fall in their favor. They were not trying to go out and take it. Right. They played, they've almost never blitzed. They played a whole bunch of too high stuff. They wanted to play an incredibly slow paced, methodical game. Um, yeah. Which worked like, in the first ever, half. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But like you never yeah. really thought it was going to last. Right. Like, like, you, and it never seemed like Notre Dame was a threat to win the game or score enough to win the game. I didn't think. I, I just from, you know, and I am not going to sit here and pretend to be a serious professional, really good like ball analyst. I didn't think that they were going to lose. Uh, Ohio State, but I, 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 ten minutes into the game, I'm like, oh, it's just going to be one of those games. I'm just yeah. not going to have a good time, and and you know, we, that was a lot of the late Urban Meyer era. Although that meant that the game was going to be 42 to 39, um, or honestly, Ohio State last year wasn't always super fun to watch, even though they're going to score a bunch of points. But I never thought like, oh, this is this. It didn't feel like the Iowa or Purdue game, where it's just like, oh, everything's going to go wrong and and, and you're going to lose. I don't know, my. Gun is that Notre Dame's going to still be pretty good this year, just albeit one that's probably better prepared to win more games that way than 35 20 kind of games. But could be wrong. No, I, I think it makes sense. 
Um, let me let me get you out of here on this because you have an area of expertise that is something that Brian and I do not have. And that is, I know you care very deeply about gambling. And I know this is this is the first two weeks of the season are um a unique time, I think, if 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 gambling is a hobby for you, because not only are we all overreacting to I mean to, to data here, but there's also I, I would imagine it might be easier for a real football head to have a legitimate information advantage over the public who might have just picked up Phil Steele or something. As you look at what happened the first week and the second week, is, are there any examples of teams you're like, I have definitely got this figured out more than Vegas does in week two versus how like they're being treated? I, I think there's there are probably some, right? Like to me, putting teams into the appropriate tiers is is very important. So you need to figure out like if you use a system where where zero is average, like, like take Connolly's, right? Yeah. You need to figure out, okay, who who are your 30s? To me, it's pretty clear. Bama, Georgia, Ohio State. We'll we'll kind of figure out one, two, three later, but like you are really not buying anybody else in that tier quite yet. Yeah. And then who are your teams who are are like sub negative twenty-five? And that's also really important because figuring out the the difference between horrendously bad typical New Mexico State, UConn, UMass level and just bad, but not like in the argument for worst team in the country bad is, is yeah. equally as important as figuring out who the really, you know, I mean, it, it, it just, it matters, right? Like the, a bet is a bet. Sure. This so year, like I think a, we have a Hawaii, right? Seems like uh, they're, yeah, they're, that's, a, they're... <laughs> that's a great one to bring up. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I like Michigan this week and um, I don't mind, I don't yeah. mind laying the 50 something. It's weird. I will say, like historically, that's a terrible bet laying fifty plus in an in an FBS first FBS game, like not an FCS contest. That doesn't usually work. But uh, Hawaii to me has like a very average FCS roster, so I don't know that the typical trends apply to it, right? Yeah, it's funny. I um, talk to a lot of people close to their program before the season because we're going to try to do like a Hawaii week later this year for cross EP and extra points. And the thinking there was we experienced so much roster attrition that we honestly have no idea. And they're like, we could see a path to a bowl game depending on how people play on the islands. Cause we have some on paper looked like winnable games. And like, and this could get away from us in a hurry. And it would appear that the latter seems a little bit more likely right now. And, and not to say they can't dig out of it later, but Hey, after that coaching transition and, and how hard it is to recruit and evaluate talent, that that would be my immediate get like pick for like this might be the UConn this year more than UConn. I mean, Matt, the, the other issue here is they are playing very fast, and if you are the worst team in the country and you're doing it very very fast, it's oh yeah, it's like being a real like it's clearly like hey, we have a negative edge and we're gonna we're gonna exercise that edge over and over and over again. Western Kentucky did not play well against them and they won by forty. Right, like West Kentucky yeah. had a million penalties, silly turnovers, missed field goals, and they covered by margin on the island. Like it was, I do wonder at some point does Hawaii stop playing? So if, I know they want to put in Timmy Chang's system, and that makes sense. And I, if you don't care how big, how big you get blown out, whatever. Like you're trying to build your culture, you're trying to build your your system. Yeah, but that the pace at which they play is absolutely contributing to to that. I'm not really sure they're that much worse than New Mexico State, but they are facing I mean four or five more possessions per game and mm. if you're like negative 2 points per possession 
you're going to like lose games by about eight, 10 more points than New Mexico State <laughs> is against the same opponent just because of, of how, how much faster you're playing. That's 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 a it's a great point. I mean, the uh, when do they slow it down? Like this weekend could be interesting uh, against Michigan. Yeah, yeah, that, you want to get Michigan like eighteen possessions? I mean, I, I'm sure Michigan would like that because they would like more opportunities to evaluate both their quarterbacks and to see what they have in, in their second string. But oh, you don't th- yeah. you don't think that that thing is done? I mean, I I I think it's probably done. But if you had 14 possessions and maybe you had, I mean, that gives you a chance to maybe put something on film. Um, I, I, I will, I, I will say this. And I don't, I'm not trying to be like a, a Homer here. It must be nice to have a schedule that allows you to very confidently put this out in public and not have to feel a twinge of concern about it. Most schools can't get away with that kind of press statement, but if you're playing Colorado state, Hawaii, UConn, sure. Hell do that for every position group. Like who cares? You know? And then Maryland, Iowa, like Maryland's not going to stop them, and I, Iowa will Iowa. just not score enough to, to be competitive. I, I, I don't think. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Either. That that offense looks. I mean, it's I bet they're over. On, I bet they're over nine and a half on the year. It's like okay, like they could lose Penn State, Ohio State, and they just have so much time to figure out which of these young guys needs to be in the starting lineup at every position, right? That they, they, they should be seven and zero to start. At seven to start and probably not be within two touchdowns in the third quarter the whole time. Like you know, maybe yeah. Iowa drags them into some kind of rock fight and they and they have to sweat for a little while. But it, that it would it would surprise me. Um, but this this has been wonderful. I, I know we we, uh, we we we're we're facing a, a short week here, but it's always great to catch up with you a little bit for our audience here that has forgotten of all the myriad places to find you right now. Besides the cover three, where can we get Bud Elliott in our lives? Sure. So I, I always make sure to tweet out all my content. So do you guys just want to follow me uh, on Twitter at Bud Elliott three? I, I do stuff for uh, for CBS HQ and twenty four seven Sports YouTube channel as well. But you know, we're primarily we're trying to grow Cover Three uh, for the most part right now. And uh, if you really want like FSU content, I, I do post over on Knowles twenty four seven. Have the Knollcast as well. So um, yeah, man. Just Bud Elliott three is, is really where, where you can get it all retweeted into your life if you really feel like it. No, that that sounds that sounds great. But hey, th- thanks again. We'll catch up with you later this later this season. All right, Matt. Take care, buddy. Uh, very quickly, friends, I want to point out that this show is, of course, brought to you by our good friends at Home Field Apparel, the makers of the most comfortable, unique collegiate apparel you can buy. I'm wearing some Home Field stuff right now. I'm wearing some Boise State. Um, not the best start for Boise State football, but maybe they'll turn it around. But even if they don't, Boise State fans can at least buy Boise State stuff that looks really cool because it's vintage and unique and all those eclectic designs that uh, they made back in the 50s and 60s. And the branding department would prefer what they forgot about. Homefield's got them. And they put them on shirts and hoodies and crewnecks and tank tops and stickers and a bunch of other things that you can either wear or stick to yourselves. Uh, the past couple of days, they've also been dropping new uh, shirts to celebrate national championships, like Pitt's national championship or Miami's national championship or Michigan's split national championship uh, because they haven't won um, anything uh, uh, completely by themselves in, in major college football since like the 1940s. And uh, shirts weren't invented back then, but you can wear the 1997 one if you want to. Love you guys. Uh, anyway, you can find all of that at homefieldapparel.com. And if you buy stuff from them, which by God, I hope you do, use promo code extra points to save 15% off of your order. That is homefieldapparel.com. 
Uh, if you would like to sponsor this show or Extra Points, which reaches 11,000 people at every free dispatch, I'm at sales at extrapointsmb.com. We're going to catch up again next week. Uh, we have a, a, some fun other things across the Extra Points and D1 Ticker Extended Universe. If you've missed them, we have the debut episode of uh, Head Coach You with Brian Fisher, my co-host, and Bronco Mendenhall, formerly of the University of Virginia and Brigham Young. We have uh, some inside baseball look at financial reports, which I know is the sexiest stuff in the world, but I mean, I think it's interesting. You find that at Extra Points and some other NIL stories. Find it all at extrapointsmb.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Matt Brown EP. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great weekend. Catch up with you again soon.